Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. So while I was putting this segment together about the political knowledge test, I started to think about who else gets to vote in federal elections. And it still takes people by surprise when I tell them that Paul Bernardo has the right to vote. Russell Williams, serial killer, former senior officer in the Royal Canadian Air Force, has the right to vote. Alec Manassian has the right to vote. And the way it works is that these individuals vote in the writing where they last lived before they were arrested. So in Bernardo's case, that means he will vote in St. Catharines, Ontario, which happens to also be the home of Doug and Donna French, the parents of Kristen. And so Bernardo, if he chooses to vote, may very well cancel out the vote of one of the parents of Kristen. And I know the parents very well personally. I haven't talked to them for some time, but I know them very well personally. They're wonderful people. Bernardo, as you know, just recently took advantage of his opportunity to petition for a parole. So should convicted murderers like Bernardo, Williams, Manassian be permitted to vote? Others with serious criminal convictions, perhaps, as well. Ari Goldkind, criminal lawyer, media pundit in Toronto. Ari, what do you think? Roy, it's a really interesting question. And just for some background to this, and the point that you make, which drives really the issue home, is Paul Bernardo's vote vote cancel out the votes of the French or Mahaffey family. When you look at it from that point of view, it's a really hard argument to make that Paul Bernardo should be able to exercise his rights in a country which would theoretically limit the rights of Mahaffey's and the French's. So there is some historical context to this, and just for people to know, in the United States, but for two states, felons cannot vote while they're in prison. And even when they're released, nine other states prevent um, felons from voting until their periods of probation or parole are off. The United Kingdom has dealt with this issue. There are countries all over the world that prevent uh, convicted felons, and the term felon, by the way, meaning a serious offender, not a summary conviction, you know, not a shove or a fist fight at a bar, but we're talking serious things. So my view is, let's look back at what the Supreme Court in 2002, now, Roy, 2002 for many people is a distant memory. They, won't, they weren't even born then. But our Supreme Court, in a very heated very heated, pre-social justice, pre-woke, pre-virtue signaling Twitter world, in a very, very contentious 5-4 split, said that uh, convicted felons, murderers, must be able to vote in Canada. They said it would be contrary to the rule of law to prevent convicted murderers from voting. And the four people who dissented, Roy, and this is a great read for those who aren't that interested in today's social justice language, but more in terms of common sense. The four judges told the five that they don't know what they're talking about, that their notions are ridiculous, and if you go out and kill somebody, you're essentially saying you have no respect for the rule of law. So where I would come down on my side of the fence, mindful I have to look at it from both sides as a criminal defense lawyer, as a citizen, is I don't know that a convicted murderer 
should be able to vote. That, to me, is if it's a serious personal injury offense, a rape, uh, child abuse of a serious nature, a very serious aggravated assault or murder, to me, that person has forfeited their right to be part of the democratic political uh, process, no different than their right to not serve on a jury, not to have a gun, for example, in the States, a whole series of other things, and I'll pause there. Yeah. I've... uh... Ari, I've had programs inside prisons with the inmates committee members, and I aired one in uh, in Joyceville Prison outside Kingston a number, well, quite a few years ago. And uh, the the issue of the likes of Paul Bernardo, in this case it was Clifford Olson, who was the mass murderer of kids in British Columbia, his name came up. And I said to them, so there's obviously no respect for Clifford Olson in this prison. What would happen to him if he were placed into the general population of this prison? And the answer, Ari, was instant. He would be murdered. That was the, that was the immediate response. So there is no forgiveness for the likes of Paul Bernardo. I mean, he's kept in security and safety in prison because the same thing would happen to him if the general population had access to him. Uh, and, and then I opened the phone lines, and we did it the day after the program. And you know, the significant majority, the vast majority of callers, sided with the inmates committee members. They believed that Paul Bernardo should have been executed, that it, the death penalty should still be on the books. For And I'm not trying to reopen a, an, an ancient argument, but they, the callers believed that the death penalty still should be on the books for the likes of Bernardo, for the likes of Williams, for the likes of Manassian. It isn't. But the, the, the emotion... Is, is strong. And, and somebody, I remember somebody saying, in order to participate in society, you should be a functioning member of society. Well, well look, let's, let's go, let's drive that point home from three weeks ago. Paul Bernardo, at his stupid waste of time parole hearing, which was just a cry for attention and a day out of his cell, said to the parole board, I want to be let out into the general population. Now, I, when I was commenting on it in my uh, media life, said, well, that's a pretty bold statement. We know what would happen. Funnily enough, the lawyer for the French and the Happy families, because you talked about a personal connection to them, came out and said, why don't we indulge that wish? Yeah, and I know Tim Danson very well. More bizarre. I know Tim Danson very well, Ari. Sorry? I know Tim Danson very well. Yeah, so I thought that was an extremely bold statement for a lawyer to make. I mean, I don't know that I would have gone as far to make that statement. I mean, I probably would have if I say what I want to say half the time. But, you know, you look at what the law does allow. Like, let's just go back to what the law says, because the law on this is a three-letter word. You know what the three-letter word is. It starts with A and ends with an S. And the point of it is, if you get convicted of certain electoral offenses, electoral fraud and electoral offense, you know, we've seen some people get convicted of this over the years, you forfeit your right to vote. You, mm-hmm. That is part of your punishment that you're not allowed to vote for a prescribed period of time. Right. I would suggest that what Alec Manassian did on Young Street, or what Faisal Hussein on the Danforth, he was shot, or Paul Bernardo did to those two beautiful young women, and about over a dozen other women that we never talk about who he raped. Let's use the word. Let's not Gild the lily. Now, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget Carla Polka's own 14-year-old sister, Tammy. That, but my point is, is we always just talk about, well, I mean, there's nothing wrong with talking about French and Mahaffey, but when you talk about Bernardo, you've got to widen the net. My point is, if certain people who commit electoral fraud or an electoral offense 
the law says it's fine, you know, to not let them vote. I don't know that I can come up with a greater sin against the moral good than murder and the idea that not only do they have the right to vote, um, Roy, but the jails have to facilitate their being able to vote. In the United States, sometimes jails are not commanded to do it, but when you look at the 2002 language from the Supreme Court, a different era, pre-George Floyd, you know, a lot of people make the argument that because there's a heavy degree of Aboriginal people in the jails or a certain race in the jails and penitentiaries, that this would be racist. Twenty years ago, when the Supreme Court talked about this, and they would never say it now because we live in a totally different world, they said, and I will quote, the fact of being incarcerated does not arise because of a stereotypical application of a presumed group characteristic. It goes on to say it's, you know, it's, you know, uh, silliness to think that it's because of race that people are in jail or because there's a disproportionate number of people of a certain race that it would disenfranchise certain races or cultures. Now, you could never have a court say that today. They're all virtue-signaling institutions a lot of the time. But really, again, for the Canadian people who often get outraged about a lot of things, Roy, that you and I have argued about that I don't think are outrageous. There's a reason people in penitentiaries, you know, often should be able to apply for parole. There's a reason you want people to think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Absolutely. When you take lives or commit what I say, and this is a legal term, a serious personal injury offense. I just don't know how it's not proportional. That's the Supreme Court term. Again, going back 20 years ago, a 5-4 split. It seems proportional to me that when you kill somebody, run them over, shoot them, rape them, that you've essentially said to society, I don't care about your rules, and society says back to you, you forfeit your right to one of the most sacrosanct rights of citizens. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 